0: If you tell me a truth that is yours, that I don't care about, and I don't know the evidence of, I probably will forget it. If you tell me a truth in a classroom setting, and show me the evidence, I may remember for some time. But if you put me in a position where I discover that truth for myself, in a space that matters to me, my life, and my future dreams, That truth is forever mine. When I think about my classes in linear algebra, one of the things that I want to do is position my students to learn linear algebra through a lens of their own dreams. In particular, allow them to study that theory by introducing them to ideas that they want to study in their future and contextualizing the entire curriculum through their own hopes and their own vision. This project is the second in a long series, I have at least eight more in the queue, in which I'm trying to redesign the linear algebra class to have a choose your own adventure component. In any linear algebra- Hey,
1: Steve, have you seen that clip? Yeah, I've seen it. Awesome. Um, Steve, I'll I'll let you go ahead and start. I have so much to say on the advice that Jeff is presenting here. Not not advice, maybe philosophy that he's presenting here. If I can learn how to end my share screen. Oh, here it is. Okay. Um, So I think it might be interesting to share how might students channel what Jeff is saying for these instructors for themselves in their courses. And you might not have been able to capture everything that he said, but just just your first take. Um, uh, just making content relevant to their lives. and Like have an outside application. I mean, it's, it's kind of refreshing sometimes when it's, you understand what you can do with something. I think it makes it easier to stick. Yeah. One thing I can say is especially this quarter, because I'm taking four CS courses, I've never done that before, I really recognize so many of my professors um, invest in the classroom time to nerd out on STEM concepts or to to say things that they've said for many, many times over many, many terms. So that really means if we know anything that we've learned about learning, mm, that is not us actively learning anything when that's happening, when they're geeking out about something. I mean, it's cool that they're geeking out about it, right? Because they're genuinely interested and some of that might rub off. But usually by the time they're geeking out about something, I already had like 20 to 30 questions that I that were prerequisites to understanding their joke or understanding what they're saying. So I, I, I can't really appreciate that moment of them smiling at themselves when they're talking about something. So in other words, when Jeff is saying that if he as an instructor can position students so that they can discover truths or discover the beauty behind some of these concepts in STEM, then they might be able to remember that more. I would say Jeff has actually given that advice for his students and us as a cohort by focusing on the process because if, if we don't focus in on the process, we actually aren't positioning ourselves to discover the truths that are behind the subject matters at hand. So that's one thing I wanted to share about that. Yeah.
0: Um, so, one of the things that comes up, um, what you just said actually, uh, there, there have been studies of how bad um, education is, or a lecture is for education. Um, there's a really great one. Um, and let me see if I can get the name of it. Um, it it, it uh, it's a it's very very well known in um, certain realms uh... oh and my program evaluation to me I can come back on that. There's a there's a really really good study they did like a, a metacognitive study of like 200 research papers and the, the conclusion of the study is like one sentence. We have scientific, scientifically validated we should really move on to the second generation which is if we don't lecture what should we do instead? So one of the issues, like what you just said, um, there are studies, I, I would like to name it if I can, because um, if we can name it, then people that are stuck in the lecture-based model at least um, can have a, a separate look at the, Maybe if we could write this down at the next meeting, um, because I can go back and, and actually get the name of this thing. Um, it's a famous paper, I think it was in the National Academy of Sciences. And in, uh, anyways, the, the point of that, though, like what you're saying, I agree, well, the only person learning a lot is the teacher, right? Because they're, every time they lecture, they're re-triggering their own concept images, and they're, and they're actually myelinating their own brain, right? But for everybody else in the room, it's a passive environment, like you're, like, it's literally not a learning environment, it's more of a Uh, expectation communication mechanism, right? They're just saying like, I expect you to know this stuff because to actually learn takes for the amount of content. It's physically impossible to make the kind of connections in the brain that's required. And so one of the points of of, of that particular talk is to say, oh, and then the second thing is a lot of times the theoretical approach to learning is really nice. Assuming we don't have video and assuming that we, we don't have access to really, really rich environments outside. So in the 1600s, when the only thing that existed was a horse and some parchment paper, like it's a really great way to lecture, right? But in the 2000s, it's asinine that we're doing that. And we're forcing all of our students to have the exact same experience in the class, even though not all of our students have the exact same interests. Um, you know. The sad thing is the moment that a teacher actually takes that challenge seriously, they'll realize that, oh, my God, education is way harder than just lecturing, right? Um, but, that, you know, as a student, one of the things that I think is really important is to push the university to give you answers. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I asked those questions and I got either I don't know the answer to that or why are you asking these questions? Stop doing that. Just do what we tell you. And I think, you know, one of the things that I would say from the student's perspective is if you have a really, if I, as a student have a really, really strong interest in something, don't take the words of authority as the final answer, right? The fact of the matter is most of us have an idea or some inkling of the type of thing that we want out of our institutions. But when we go ask those questions, then the institution give us negative results. You know, like, oh, we we don't have an answer to that. Like a lot of professors, don't have the answer of how this is applied because they've never learned themselves. Right? They, learn, they know the theory and they have some tangential knowledge of how to apply the material. But in terms of like, like no professor on earth knew Google's PageRank algorithm prior to Sergey Brin and Larry Page because nobody had discovered it. <laughs> right? That that's an application of eigenvalue theory translated into linear systems. All that stuff was known, and how to do it was known, but how to apply it in that particular constant was all unknown. They got the GRSF, Those guys got the graduate research uh, fellowship from the NSF, right, um, to to create the PageRank algorithm. That was one of the things the NSF invested in. They created Google, so to speak. They funded. The, they were the first round of funding for that, that technology. But like, if those two people had not been really insistent and had not really put down of at Stanford, they would never have constructed Google. I'm not claiming that the funding mechanism that launched Google is a, is a necessary outcome from that discovery. Those are two separate things. But my point is students sometimes forget how much agency they have in the student-teacher relationship student is recognize that if you have some some desired outcome from your education that has to do with how do you apply the knowledge in practice in your particular field keep that you know imagine that question that that project of figuring out how to apply this stuff as a plant and every nutrients in the soils and sometimes you're going to go you know sometimes you get buffeted by rain or by by a hurricane or you know which is the professor's telling you you're crazy or whatever, right? But at the end of the day, this is our education. It's not their education. What they're doing is they're providing the foundation, you know, some foundational knowledge, but it's really us that creates that value there. And I think systemically speaking from system transformation, I would, I would challenge other professors to, um, to find ways to integrate that type of thinking into their classes. I'm, I'm currently doing that in my quote unquote research career. But from the student's perspective, until that systemic transformation happens, I would say you know, believe in yourself and believe in your questions and then really push the institution and don't, don't take no for an answer. right? That doesn't mean to flip off the instructor and tell them that you know, their mother grew up in a, in a gutter and their father's a, a pig. right? But you don't have to be disrespectful about it. But if, if one professor doesn't have the answer, recognize that, A, maybe that person doesn't know the answer to that question. Or B, the incentives of that person's career have blocked them from taking your question seriously. You know, and, the, and the way that I always think about this is, do we pay, what, what do we pay for in our, in, our, in our society? Do we pay for A's in calculus classes? I mean, scholarships, I guess. But if, if you look at, at the stuff that gets really, really celebrated, it's people that leverage old ideas in new ways. Right. And so from that standpoint, like so much of the challenge of education, I think, is for students to figure out new and creative ways to apply old knowledge to solve new problems. Right. To combine to combine different types of knowledge in a way that is 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 kind of unique. Right. That's where the, the kind of the fertile ground lays. And by definition, that means most of your teachers have no idea how to do that. Because their job is not, let me synthesize new ideas. And in fact, it's such a higher barrier to entry than than producing small incremental um, um, updates on old theories. It is such a higher barrier to entry to figure out how to apply something to a completely new context than it is to take an existing theory and improve it a little bit. right? And so I think from that standpoint, like if I was to speak to a student and to say like, you know, how do you leverage that idea of of filtering content through your own paradigms? The thing that I would say is like, one, start to track your questions. Like Steve's blog post says, right? Like really start treating your questions as important. And then two challenge authority, not that challenge doesn't have to put your own, your own, um, um navigation of the system at risk necessarily right it doesn't mean like you challenge authority and flip them off and and really like make an adversary out of somebody that could be an advocate but it does mean recognize that we you as a student you make your own education and if you're not getting the answers from a particular person that doesn't mean your question is invalid or that the desire for your answer to that question is a bad desire it means the question is probably a valuable one it's just if somebody else had found the answer you wouldn't you would find that online right you'd find you'd find access to that information somewhere and i think that's you know just to to hold that that part of your heart and recognize to be able to say in the face of an authority figure like this is valuable and i want to find an answer
1: Wow. I'll add. That. I'll add one last thing to that. So, if I was speaking to a student um, who's struggling to understand how to make sense of lecture, I might actually compare lecture to going to a stand-up comedian show. But if you don't have the prerequisite knowledge of the the let's say pop culture in what they're about to present and say, you're not going to get any of the jokes at all, and it's gonna be absolutely miserable. Like literally people are laughing in Zoom classes, people are usually two, are participating in the Zoom chat box and then 75 minutes is over and you're done. So to defend against that, uh, revisit your lecture notes, try to capture as much as you can in lecture, whether it be questions or whether it be notes and before the next class. um, That is your crash course Education to be able to get the quote unquote metaphorical jokes that your professor is dropping on you in the actual lecture.
0: It's such a big one. That's a, that's a great analogy, right? And it also that that really does challenge the concept of like, it, it brings it to a head. You know, I, I I do. Let's let's finish this because I think it's important. So this is one of those situations. I'm trying to remember, right? I'm trying to remember this, this theory. Um, and lo and behold, there it is. That's the paper.
1: Active learning increases student performance in science, engineering, and mathematics.
0: Yep, and then the, who's the t- first author there?
1: Scott Freeman.
0: Okay, so let me just read. So did you see how fast that was for me to find that? How long did that take? Yeah, that's why I like hard pieces of paper. So um, the results raise questions. Here's the main. To test the hypothesis that lecturing maximizes learning and course performance, we meta-analyzed 225 studies that reported data on examination scores or failure rates when comparing student performance in undergraduate STEM classes under traditional lecturing versus active learning. We did some statistical analysis, and results of this study, as a control in research studies, and support active learning as the preferred empirically validated teaching practice in regular classrooms. In other words, lecture is scientifically validated as a very dumb way to teach, we should do active learning. And later in the, like, that's what the paper has control in future experience. In other words, what does the Hippocratic Oath say? First, do no harm. We have have an analysis of 225 peer-reviewed research papers that show lecturing is actually doing harm to students, right? So if you now use lecture to do experiments on learning that's the equivalent of a doctor knowing that a drug is going to hurt somebody and still administering the drug anyways right and this gets into the idea of a novice teacher the reason that student people teach using lecture is not because they know it does harm in fact they are completely blind they are willfully blind not on purpose they just you know, and the reason why I say willfully is these are some of the smartest people in the world. These people know how to learn. How is it that they get paid to be professional educators and they can't read lecture notes on how learning works? Well, that's a system of incentives that's designed to maintain, to propagate a broken uh, learning environment. But the point of this thing, you know, and I, there's tons of these like this. That's when I, why I wanted to expose you guys super early in your... Traditional thing, you know. So the last thing I'll and I'll shut up on this, but um, instead of using lecture as a control in experiments, it may be more productive to focus on what we call second generation research, using advances in educational psychology and cognitive science to inspire changes in course design. Then testing hypotheses about which type of acting learning is most appropriate and efficient for certain topics and student populations. Well, guess what, you guys. Guess what this is designed to do for you.
1: Exactly this, that.
0: Are learning like yeah, you guys are getting um uh, you're getting access to educational psychology and cognitive science. You know, I'm already I'm well I'm already on the second generation problem and I have you know w- that talk that I gave is about 10 years into my research and development. So I have a particular hypothesis about the best answer for the type of active learning. And that has to do with both this realization, this is a I would call a foundational realization, and then also understanding of the motivational theory and how interest develops and all that stuff. So the, the talk actually is well beyond my published scholarship. So in order to understand that talk, there's probably like, I don't know, at least five, but more like 10 papers that I should write contextualizing that. But my, my feeling is it's, um, the development of those resources is much, much harder. Then the, um, yeah, that's more on that later. But part of the learning code is not only for the students that are gonna benefit from that. We're leveraging cognitive science and psychology to teach them how to become professional learners. But for you two guys, one of the reasons that I say that you're gonna be thought leaders is, you guys are going to have, you will become knowledgeable. You'll become educated in that space as part of your education. So not only are you becoming content experts and not only do you have that to offer, but you are, you're, you're double professionals. You actually understand the learning science and you understand how that relates. And so when you make pedagogical decisions, you, you do so from an informed